0: Um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com courses. Thanks for the support.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Jessica Jackley. Jessica is truly an incredible human being, and her career has mirrored that. She started disruptive finance companies that have changed so many lives and walks us through her process now for dreaming up how to make the world a better place. Such a good conversation ahead. Let's get right into it. All right, Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for hopping on here. Well,
0: thank you. It's great to be with you.
1: Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for a while We're we have some interesting things in common. We're in LA, we have We've worked in fintech, we went to Patriot League schools, I went to Lehigh, you went to Bucknell. Oh, so it's just
0: amazing. Patriot League throwback. I love it.
1: Yeah. So it's just natural that we're jumping on here and I'm gonna go through your journey today. Yeah. So uh we usually start this podcast, you know, early in someone's life. Uh like when the beginnings of entrepreneurial spirits start to come into someone, but mm-hmm. um Happy to let you just take it wherever you think the your story, your career journey, your life story should begin.
0: Okay, well, that's it's nice to have open ended starts. I love it. Um, I would say that my I think it's worth saying for a sentence or two just something about my upbringing. So I was raised in this lo- lovely, wonderful, just super loving family. Um, we all went to church together, and that shaped a lot of how I looked at the world in my early years. I basically felt pretty convinced and convicted, um, you know, called, if you will, to be of service to people um, and to be of service to people less fortunate than I was. I felt like that was kind of just central to my introduction to morality and ethics and and life. Like, here's the world, you're privileged, go help. <laughs> and so I didn't know what to do or how to go help. I never thought it would be through anything related to business or entrepreneurship for you know the first 20 years of my life or so I thought businesses are bad businesses are about taking businesses are about you know tricking people to give them their money and sell them something that they probably don't even need <laughs> um, and I thought nonprofits must be the opposite of poor profits so I will go find them pretty basic black and white simple worldview I, I know and I've changed over the years but that's how I Kicked it off. That's how I started. So when I when I graduated college, you know, I'd studied philosophy and political science and poetry and just not anything business. But it's hard because when when you graduate with a, only ba- only basically a lens of of um, you know what you don't want to do. I knew I wanted to avoid avoid businesses. So looking for a job vaguely in the nonprofit sector. Thank you, love. My husband just brought me coffee. Sorry, that's happening. Okay. <laughs> real hmm. life. Real life in quarantine. Thank you, babe. Um, when you sort of start off your your search, uh, your before your into the real world with, okay, well, I know I don't want to do business. I want to do the other stuff. It's kind of hard. It's not very well defined. So I sort of haphazardly flung myself out to California. I moved there from Pennsylvania. And I didn't have a plan. I, I just knew I wanted to work for something social impacty, like something nonprofit, I thought. I couldn't find that right away, so I took a temp job as an administrative assistant at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. So you know, cue the 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 shock and awe, right? I was in the business school. I was like in the lion's den. Well, it turned out when I was there, I happened to be not just in the business school generally, which is actually a pretty wonderful place, but in the Center for Social Innovation, this research center where everyday people are thinking about using business skills to an an entrepreneurial thinking to address social problems. So it was this really amazing um, paradigm shift for me where I started to realize, oh, businesses are just vehicles to like get things done in the world. They're just groups of people who have all decided to do something together and they can do anything. They can do something that's good or bad or anything in between. And nonprofits don't necessarily have the corner market on social change. Some nonprofits are vibrant and wonderful and disciplined and efficient and get a lot of great things done. And some of them are small and inefficient and don't, don't do much. Right. Same with businesses. Some of them are doing things at scale that would be very tough to do, uh, with a not, not impossible, but tough to do in a nonprofit structure. It's, it's a tax code, not a religion. Right. So I basically got started to see really interesting models of change. And I decided three years into that job, I was so inspired. (laughs) I quit that job and moved to East Africa to basically try to be closer to people I wanted to serve and try to understand problems up close and firsthand, and that's where the idea for Kiva um, began. I'll pause. That was not two sentences. That was a lot of sentences. But I'll pause there, and you can redirect me if you'd like. But that's that's kind of where my my real work, I feel like, began.
1: Right, and it's quite a story. I don't want to redirect you too much. I'm just interested <laughs> in the jump. From being in Palo Alto to going to East Africa. Like that's 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 pretty dramatic.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a little I in my my book, Clay Water Brick, there's a section I believe I named, um, from Silicon Valley to the Great Rift Valley or something like that. <laughs> it was a very, very interesting, very interesting
1: shift. Yeah, I I can only imagine. And so you just move there like by yourself? Do you have <laughs> Like, well, how did that work? Yeah,
0: that's no, a really good question. It's um, I don't want to gloss over uh, or ever. I never want to make things that were a slog, right that were scrappy and messy, sound polished and easy. I think that's a disservice that a lot of people do when they're up on a stage speaking when that was a thing <laughs> when they're telling their story. they the really hard, messy moments where a lot of faith and you know risk taking is required. Um, sometimes they make them sound really easy. so let me slow down. So I began to be interested I started to get interested in microfinance because I stayed late at work one night while I was still at the business school and I heard this guy in the fall of 03 named Dr. Muhammad Yunus speak about his work with his Grameen Bank. This was 3 years before Yunus would win the Nobel Prize for his pioneering work, you know, in modern microfinance. And I heard him speak and was like, "What? Small loans?" $50 sometimes, $25, $100, sometimes just a few dollars to entrepreneurial, very, very poor people that can change their trajectory. Like what, what is this? And repayment rates are 90 plus percent usually and across the industry. Like what, what am I hearing? I became fascinated with the idea. And so I started to do what I thought was a, a normal thing to do, but I, I understand now it is um, not always, but I encourage all listeners to just start doing this. <laughs> I started to just stalk people, like cold call anybody that I thought could make me smarter on the topic. One of the people that I called um, and bugged for time for like an informational interview, just 15 minutes, was a guy named Brian Lennon. He ran a small nonprofit called Village Enterprise. And they didn't really do loans. They had experimented and done, had done a handful of $100 loans throughout their history, but they mostly did $100 grants. Um, so it wasn't even exactly the same thing, but it was close enough. And I wanted to learn anything I could about what happened when a small amount of money was put in the hands of somebody with the right training at the right time and the right you know, encouragement and support system. So I wanted to learn about Village Enterprise's work he agreed to have lunch with me. And I remember I sat down, like, I think I was wearing a blazer or something that, like, I never wear. <laughs> like, I think I was dressed up. And I sat down and had, you know, my resume printed out again, back when that was a thing, and put, moved it across the table to him and basically gave my little pitch on myself, like, Hello, sir, here's my name, here's what I'm interested in. Da, 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 da. And he pushed the resume back to me and was like, Jessica, just talk to me. Like, just tell me about yourself. You don't need to be or do anything. Just let's talk. Let's talk. And I I remember like breathing a sigh of relief and just letting it all out, like without without feeling like I had to be polished or, or sell myself. I just was like, oh my gosh, thank you. This is what I'm interested in. This is what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I'm good at. I don't know what skills I have to offer you, but I really want to learn. Like, what can we do? Anyway, we had this great discussion and he luckily, I mean, thank God, but Brian believes that part of what he's supposed to do here on earth is like mentor people and help people. And he took me on as a case. And I met with him for lunch every few weeks for several months after that. And by the end of our that little season of, of meeting for lunch and brainstorming and dreaming together, we came up with something that I could do. And I was sent to East Africa to work for Village Enterprise for a, a, a three and a half months assignment. So he gave me my big break, and you know, it was an unpaid internship, but it was, but I was able to like stay with families throughout Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania, and I was able to do survey work for them. So I I interviewed people that had received their one hundred dollars. I asked how it had changed their lives. I did standard of living surveys, and just basically did a lot of in-depth interviews. And it was ideal for me because, you know, it was useful for Village Enterprise because I got a lot of really deep information on the impact of their work and what was working and what wasn't. And so much was working so well. So it was really good for them. For me, it it was just like, you kind of can't do anything more valuable than try your best to deeply, humbly, you know, with as much empathy as you can bring, understand the people that you want to serve, like get as close as you can get as be with them as long as you can. Be with them. Do your best to step inside their lives and wear their shoes and do everything you can to understand them. So, as a privileged Midwestern white girl like <laughs> to go live in huts for 3 months and you know, it was just it was the greatest thing. It was the most humbling, wonderful thing for me and it 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 gave me not only a deep respect for agency and autonomy and like giving people that you want to help make, you know, how you want to help make their lives better, like giving them as much control over the process and over the resources they, they 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 need and defining the solution, like give as much, put as much in their hands as you can and then watch and listen and learn. It, it gave me a lot of respect for that. And it also gave me so much um, energy and kind of le- like legitimacy. Like I felt like, okay, now now I'm not just studying about these problems of poverty from you know, in school or in books or whatever. I'm actually here. I'm learning. I'm not. God, God knows. I wasn't experiencing it really myself. I was just dabbling, but I knew what I didn't know, and that was a good start. So that was how I got there, and that was when I started to ask questions like, "Gosh, what if instead of a grant, a loan is given?" To the same kind of person, like the, the same segment of, of of people that I was with, right? People with so little, living very rural areas where a lot of microfinance institutions weren't yet working. What if we could somehow provide loan funding for them, and then also, you know, as a my only participation really was as a donor from a very far away vantage point, like calling the one eight hundred numbers on the screen that I would see as a kid to donate money and sponsor a child through World Vision or save, you know. Um, Save the Children or other other organizations like that doing great, great work. Like what if instead of giving, I could be a lender? What would that be like? And those very simple what if questions turned into an experiment that became Kiva. So I will pause again here and you can ask me more stuff. Where, where, oh. where now? Because I can, yeah. it'd be a very long journey to fast forward through 20 more years, but I can do it. <laughs> Tell you where, <laughs> you know, what else happened?
1: You know where, I'm, do you I'm, where, I'm where do you want to go? I'm glad we got the details on that on the how you got to East Africa part because now it's so clear. Like you had this incredible passion and you just weren't going to like let anything get in your way of figuring out how to implement that passion into life. And it's like, it's just so clear now. So I'm very happy we got that. So Yes. So, okay. You're there. You're seeing the ability to make these micro loans, these small, Payments yep. um, to entrepreneurs—it's just like a new method of change in the world. Uh, yes. So it's yeah, I mean, it's it's really yeah. amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. What was weird is like I've always thought I'm a just to go super touchy feely on you here. I mean, I've always felt like I'm a pretty big dreamer. That's that's a strength, um, and it can it can be hindrance. But like I'm a pretty hardcore idealist, and I I've always had lots of. Um, yeah, lots of big dreams. But what was crazy with Kiva, the experience that just really permanently altered me and my, my heart and my mind and what I believe is possible in the world was that I was putting myself to dream bigger and bigger for what Kiva could become. Like at first it was $3,000 and seven people, right? That Seven entrepreneurs that needed a few hundred dollars each. And I spammed friends and family, got the money in overnight and wired it over to Uganda and a friend there, Moses, like handed out the money. It was so basic. It was not high tech. It was not really online much at all, except for a few pictures and stories of the entrepreneurs. We didn't have online payment processing. Like it was very rudimentary to say the least, but it was enough to get started. And then the first round of loans, the real loans um, after that was, you know, a lot larger. And then the first year, after our little pilot round of three thousand bucks, we facilitated like five hundred thousand in loans, and I remember thinking at that moment, like, wow, this has already exceeded what I thought was possible. Well, that second year was fifteen million. The third year was like forty. The next, a hundred, and Kiva is almost at one and a half billion dollars today. And it started. I'm not. I'm not. You know, oversimplifying it. It literally just started with friends and family, and a very specific. Goal, like a, a very specific problem, a very specific attempt at a solution, and it built. It built from there. It, it built on itself, um, round after round after round of loans. And I think there are a few things to unpack and to learn there. I mean, one, you know, often the limiting factor is like how big can you dream? And it sounds cheesy, it sounds silly, but it's true. You know, at the same time, starting small and specific, I don't, I don't really know how else to start. And I think. You, you learn as you go, you iterate, you change, so starting small is responsible and a good thing and it 's something that I notice sometimes students or other entre- entrepreneurs that i that are starting out and that are young um, that i that I talk to and mentor they sometimes feel a little bit silly or embarrassed by tiny beginnings but it 's the only way to start the only smart way to start, I think, and then you learn what works and you you do it with excellence and you grow in a responsible way um, so dream big one, but start small two three like I think, um, I think it was such an asset to have known, like known very deeply the, the people that I wanted to work with, but that changed quickly. And suddenly my time was being spent not on like hanging out in the field, so to speak, and around campfires, like getting to know the families I wanted to work with. It was spent doing other things. So it was a discipline to stay connected and to keep getting out there and keep like revisiting, um, Individuals that we were working with, and to keep those relationships fresh, so we could keep learning. That was a that was a real that was a real asset, and, and something that was, I think a, I think it's a requirement um, if you want to do your work right and stay on top of things and not become irrelevant very very quickly. Um, I don't know. There are lots of there are lots of things to learn there, lots of things to unpack. But I, as I look back, I realize. I had to really work hard to keep up with the dream, to keep dreaming and keep up with what was actually unfolding in reality. Because it exceeded it exceeded my expectations so many times over, and way, way more quickly than I thought it would. So,
1: right. I mean, that's um one of the amazing things of technology that like multiplier effect that you're just trying to help out a few families and then a few more, as many as you can. Then all of a sudden, you're doing hundred million dollars of of loans. It's like it's it's amazing.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's, it's, you learn to, to like very quickly bring in people who are smart, like be aware of your blind spots and celebrate, like be, be super okay with all the things you don't know. Everybody is only just one person. So like everyone has blind spots. Everyone has stuff they're good at and stuff they're not yet good at or, or never going to be because they choose not to be. <laughs> but like I I am never going to win at accounting. Like I needed to bring in an accountant early on. I needed to bring in lawyers early. Like we needed to bring in people that were smarter than us in certain areas really early on. And and that's good to do. You shouldn't be threatened or intimidated by by your your weaknesses. Just bring others bring others around you who can who can help you be good at that stuff.
1: Right. Absolutely. So Jessica, where does the story go from there. I mean, obviously, I'm not talking to you in Africa today. Right. So. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, did did you think you were going to stay there longer or stay there? Like, how, long, how long were you there for?
0: I was there that time for like three months and I went back a good dozen times later after that um, for work-related stuff and then other times just for fun. Like, surf trips and safaris and (laughs) other things. Um, We took our, I have four kids now and we had three, only three kids two summers ago. And we did a a wonderful like round the world trip and went to Egypt. And there's so many, so many stories, so many adventures and travel stories to tell, but I won't, I won't do that right now. Um, After Kiva started to grow a few years in, I realized that I had been given this incredible gift of, you know, working on something hard and having it succeed. I, I generally look at the world as everyone's doing their best. And sometimes people who are, you know, everyone's waking up and doing what they can do. And sometimes things work <laughs> because of that hard work. And sometimes things don't work despite that hard work. And I feel lucky that I got to be part of something that worked. Then it convinced me that I could go do other stuff in the world and be entrepreneurial myself way more than I had originally planned or, or imagined I could be. So, I decided to leave Kiva and start another thing. So I started a second startup called ProFounder. This was way back, I I, want to say, God, what was it? 2008, maybe? Um, Yeah, 2008 to around 2010. We were one of the first, if not the first, uh, equity and, well, securities-based crowdfunding platform for small businesses. So in short, small businesses and startups that, didn't necessarily have a planned liquidity event, right? Where you could cash out with your equity, your, your stock, your ownership of the business. They still need to raise money. They still wanted to raise money often from friends and family. And we're doing so anyway, usually offline, usually illegally in these strange like private rounds of fundraising where you get a check from your rich uncle at the Thanksgiving dinner table, like weird, just weird offline stuff. We tried to put that online. It was pre crowdfunding being legal for investments. Um, so we had to figure that out, which was super interesting and fun. We started to, we being myself and my co-founder Dana, um, we basically built like a Kickstarter platform for small businesses to raise that, you know, on average about thirty thirty five thousand $35,000 from friends and family. But before it was in a straightforward way, before it was legal. Right. It became legal through the Jobs Act, which we actually had the privilege of helping to write, and then like going and lobbying Congress about, and we we went we went and saw it signed into law in the Rose Garden. It was just amazing. Um, it was an amazing time. And at the at, as we were doing all that, what we had built sort of became less relevant. And I was pregnant with my first two kids, our twins, and so I ended up stepping away, and we shut down the company, which was its own wonderful learning experience. You know, we raised some f- rounds of funding, and then. Managed to pull off some really interesting experiments, and then decided it was time to wait for the Jobs Act to become law. Which, you know, when it all is said and done, is a long process. The SEC has to make rules around the legislation, and it took a few years before that was even activated. So, anyway, I ended up doing venture stuff. I, I did some investing through the Collaborative Fund. Um, I did some EIR stints, Entrepreneur in Residence stints. I did one at Disney Imagineering, which was totally. Fun and weird and different for me, um, and I, I, I teach at USC. I teach a class called uh, Entrepreneurship. Or I'm sorry, Entrepreneurial Solutions for the Global Goals, and we look at all of the things that the world is trying to solve on large. Like, how do you get clean water to everybody? How do you make sure girls are being educated? How do you solve the housing crisis? You know, big picture goals, and we we look at who's doing what: nonprofits, for profits. Like I've said, it's you know I'm kind of agnostic as to which sector is. The best to solve social problems. I think it takes a lot of everything, right? It takes policy. It takes hybrid solutions. It takes everything. Um, so we, that that's another thing that I do. And, you know, I, I don't want to ramble. I have a lot of kind of extracurriculars <laughs> and I've had, other, I've had other jobs and projects since then. Um, most recently, I was working at a green bank uh, where we were trying to figure out how to make retail banking as sustainable and good for the world as possible, which is actually not a straightforward thing. It's um, a lot of money does super creepy stuff. Like a lot of banks invest in oil pipelines and things at at night while you're sleeping with your money that you think is just sitting in a savings account. So there's a lot there, but I'm kind of at a point where I am dreaming about what to build next. And I, I do feel certain that I want to build again. I want to you know, we're 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 stopping at four children, as far as I know, <laughs> and so that's good. So I have a lot of a lot of, a lot to do there with those little wonderful people, and I want to build something that can make make the world a lot better for them as they grow up. So I feel even more challenged, and in, in a good way, more challenged than ever to make my work count and to build something that really matters in the world. And I have a few ideas, but nothing fully baked yet. We can maybe we should do another you know, follow up podcast in coming months, but <laughs>
1: yeah. right now well, I'm still
0: in, I'm still dreaming, but I have, well, I have a handful Je- of areas that remain interesting and yeah. you know, we'll
1: see. So Jessica, preemptive of that, of our next conversation, <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about the process of how you go about yeah. thinking about finding networking. Like what is it that you're, you're sitting in front of a notepad trying to think of ideas you're sure. going out and meeting people. Like sure. what is that process like for you?
0: Yeah. So it's so fun. I mean, if you can be comfortable with ambiguity, if you can be comfortable not having answers and not even really having a shape of a process, (laughs) just dreaming, I think there are a few places that are good to start. So if you're really, really at the beginning, one, I like to reflect on sort of um, moments of emotional sort of spikes. So whether it's you think back, honestly, you can kind of reflect on any time in your life when you felt bothered by something, like I remember first learning that there was still modern-day slavery, I was like, "I'm sorry, what now? What?" <laughs> I felt really activated by that. I remember feeling, um, you know, there's certain trends or stats or things that you learn about what's happening in the world where you feel, "Gosh, that's not okay with me. What? The, like that shouldn't be the case." So those are those are things to pay attention to that can I think can lead to areas of work or areas where you know you dig in more, you learn, you can kind of somewhat quickly make yourself a, kind of an armchair expert on an issue or a, a theory of change or whatever. Um, so that's something that I do and have done, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good these days at like paying attention to those moments of being bothered or being super inspired by something I see or hear or work that I see being done. Um, so that's one kind of place to, to, that you might find inspiration and might find some direction. Another, another place might be like, what areas of the world do you love? And have you either visited or studied or, or worked in or whatever where you think, I want to be useful there? Like for me, East Africa kind of became that place, but I was actually more interested in India when I was kicking things off and in and, and Bangladesh specifically, actually. Because of where the Grumming Bank works, that was my first exposure to microfinance. So I started to pursue opportunities there. That didn't work out and I got an opportunity instead in East Africa. so I went with that and then that became a, like really special to me and I learned Swahili and I got I became a little expert in East Africa for a while. so that was that was helpful. It's you know you want to get specific sooner than later um, with either place or people, right? Maybe you know that you want to work with kids or you want to do something that betters the lives of children or maybe you really are feeling, you know, especially activated by black lives matter right now. Maybe you want to make the lives of of women better. I don't know. You you can go by by you know, segment of of population that you want to serve. There's so many ways to go about it, but I would say first try to draw circles around interest areas like that. Um, but as fast as you can uh you know, I, I'm, I I this is my own advice to myself. Like get specific. Get really specific. You can always change. You can always change direction and zoom back out again. But if you had to pick something today, like what are your top three organizations that you'd love to work for or with and, and why, what are, what are the things you love about them? Um, when I talk to people who say to me, like, and again, often this happens with a lot of younger folks starting out or some of my undergrad students, they'll say, I just, I really want to be an entrepreneur. I'm so excited. I just, I I don't know what I want to do yet. I I just want to be an entrepreneur because I want to build. That is a totally fine and wonderful um, feeling to have. But it's just know that it's sort of like saying, I really want to go to the Olympics. I mean, I haven't chosen a sport, but I will someday, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like pick a sport, start start playing, start doing something. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, just even if you don't feel 100% certain, Choose a field. Choose a sport. Choose choose a thing that you're starting to do because you'll learn more as you do some as you do whatever it is that you're doing um, than if you stay theoretical and kind of stay zoomed out for too long. If that makes sense, like it's great to study social entrepreneurship and, and study entrepreneurial theories, and that's fine. But just get into get into the mix and start doing something specific. Um, for me, I also have been connecting very carefully, actually, because I, I tend to really just. I almost overconnect, and so I'm trying to very carefully choose as I look through the last decade even of my life, like who are the people that have really been the most inspiring and who do I admire the most now and who, you know, as a parent with a lot of uh, desire and joy that I find in being with my kids a lot, like who's designed their life, their work-life balance the best? Like who's who's really knocking it out of the park there? Because I have people whose careers I admire but whose family lives have fallen apart and vice versa. And not that you can control either of those things completely, but I see people that are showing up and parenting in a way that I really admire. And that, that matters a lot to me. So I'm reconnecting with people whose personal and professional lives, I think um, I want to model, I want to be like, you know? Um, And at the end of the day, I guess, I guess I'd say this, I have, (laughs) again, you've caught me highly caffeinated again, thanks to the husband to, for bringing me coffee. (laughs) Um, I know I'm saying a lot, but I guess I'll say one more thing before I pause yet again. I think I didn't understand at the beginning of my career, I didn't understand that everybody's making it up as they go. Like nobody knows for sure how today is going to unfold and what's going to happen. And we all get to respond. We're we're like, (laughs) we're all responding real time with bringing our very best. So you can build a career that looks like nothing else anyone has ever done, right? You can build a life and choose, a, choose and, and really make your own path in a way that maybe has some similarities to other people's, but if you're not finding a mentor or a path of a person that you feel like is perfect, like good, build your own, make your own way. Um, that's, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> I officially give you permission, but you don't need permission from anybody. You can make stuff up and patch together a way of life like a livelihood um, a set of work a portfolio of stuff that you care about that you do that no one else has done before uh, and I, I i really highly encourage people to think very openly about that as as you go like from from the beginning i kind of i kind of wish i had felt more free to do that in the beginning but it's worked out it's worked out fine <laughs> but i need to remind myself of that even now that any i can build this however i want i can decide to work 27 and a half hours a week and I can choose to do that for actual monetary compensation. I can choose to do it for free, and then earn my money doing something else. And the other twelve hours, you know, I can do. You, you can make it work however you choose to make it work.
1: Right, and that's an extremely important, like really important, because we all get so caught up in saying what society says. Yeah, the normal is what we should be doing working nine to five. I mean, I, I right. assume that this pandemic will will help things yep, like that. Yep. You know, be a little bit more free mm-hmm. and flexible. But uh, I mean, really, Jessica, this entire conversation has just been so inspiring. I'm I'm super jazzed up right now. I can see I'm so i been um, the smiling through this whole thing. I'm just I'm really happy we got to do this.
0: I am so glad. It's such a joy, and it's it's really a it's a gift to me, right? To stop and have to ask and answer these questions together. I really appreciate it. I'm it'll, it'll really fuel the next few hours of my day as well. So thank you for the opportunity to talk with you about all this stuff.
1: Amazing. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you again. And let's talk soon.
0: sounds like a plan.
1: Okay. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.